Well, as Abby said, we're so glad you're here today. Uh, it's good to see you all. Loving a little bit of rain, starting to feel a little bit more like winter. No more 100 degree temperatures. I'm totally okay with that. Isn't it funny, like during the summer, you're going, oh, I can't wait for cooler weather. And then we get into winter and we're like, oh, I can't wait for warmer weather. We're just not satisfied, are we? Uh, we had, just got back last night uh, from men's camp. We actually have a few guys that are still up at Camp Crest and on their way home, even as we speak. Uh, joined with about 350 other guys from around our district, our Foursquare uh, Pacific Southwest District up at Camp Cedarcrest, uh, and just had a mighty move of the Lord in that place and, uh, and some, some great time of worship and fellowship and, and good food. So, so last night, they served a steak dinner to 350 guys. Now, usually steak dinners for like a mass amount of people, not so good, right? One of the best steaks I've had in a long time. So guys, next time, if you want a good steak, got to go to camp. We'd love to see you there. Uh, Hey, I want to mention something else that's coming up tonight. Uh, Starting at 5 p.m., we're starting the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality class over at the Thrive Center. And you can see there's that iceberg. You know, all of us have the part of our lives that people see, right? It's the, the part of us that we let people see on the outside. Yet below the surface, there's a lot more going on. And a lot of what's below the surface is what we deal with emotionally. And not all of those things are always healthy, are they? Right? And, and we actually have to go through a process of healing emotionally. So the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality class is an eight-week class. It's going to take place on Sunday evenings. It's about two hours. We'll go from 5 to 7 p.m., um, and we're going to just spend time pressing into what God has for us in, in regards to emotional health. Uh, one of the statements they make is it's, it's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And so we want to tend to all of those places in our lives. Uh, there's no sign-up needed. You can just show up and be a part of that. Uh, the, the cost of materials is $30. If you have the book or even have the workbook from the last time we did it, uh, we'll, just, we'll take the, you know, the, the money off for that. But come and be a part of that. I want to encourage you uh, to check that out. Also, uh, you can download the app, the Thrive Church app. Uh, go to thriveglendora.org uh, sla- uh, forward slash app, and you can download the app. All of the events that are coming up are in there, as well as the sermon notes for this morning. Hey, last Sunday uh, was, a, was kind of a cool Sunday. Uh, the, Lord, the Lord moved in some special ways. We got to pray for healing in this place. Uh, we already have a testimony uh, of one person being healed last Sunday, uh, and, and experiencing incredible breakthrough. Okay, so let me say that again. So someone last Sunday was healed. Can we give praise to the Lord? And there's more coming. There's more coming. We're continuing to, to pray for Silas. We're continuing to pray for others who are part of our fellowship here. And it's going to continue to press in to the healing touch of the Lord in our lives. Amen. Off of last Sunday, uh, I, I felt like the Lord was saying, you know, uh, there's a lot of people in our church family who, who don't know where we come from. And, and when I talk about Foursquare, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of people who are aware of what Foursquare is, who Foursquare is. Some of you have been a part of the Foursquare church and the Foursquare denomination since you were born. And some of you are hearing about Foursquare for the very first time right now and everything in between. We are Thrive Church. That, that's who we are. We, 
We're Thrive Church. That's the name that God has given us. But there's a bigger identity and a bigger family that we're a part of. We're, we're also called Glendora Foursquare Church. And we've been Glendora Foursquare Church the first, uh, in fact, there was a Glendora Foursquare Church in 1962. I have the, the charter in my office uh, at the Thrive Center. And so Glendora Foursquare Church has been around for a while. In, in Thrive Church, while we're a newer church family with that name, we've been a part of something much bigger. You know, DNA uh, is interesting. You know that we share that our DNA is 99% the same between all of us. But there's this 1% that makes us different, that makes us unique, that, that gives you your eye color, your hair color, right? All of those genetic traits that you learned about when you were in, maybe in middle school. Is that middle school science? Is that where we learn about that, right? If you can curl your tongue and all of that stuff. Um, and it sets us apart. It makes us different. It, it makes us unique. See, there's the church globally, there's, there's churches all over the world that are Bible-believing churches. There are Bible-believing denominations all over the world. And we just get to be a part of a particular family called Foursquare. And, and that DNA, like in my life, you know, my name is Barry Mulock. And I, I'm Barry. I go by Barry. That's what people call me. But I'm also part of the Mulock family. And if you look at my children or if you look at my siblings or if you met my cousins, you would look, line, us, line us up all next to each other and go, oh, yeah, you guys all come from the same place, right? Anyone else relate to that? Any of your children, you're like, oh, my goodness, there's just a cookie cutter. And you just like, right? In our family, it's the eyebrows. Like, we just have, like, we just share the same eyebrows. And so... You know, what people are doing now is they're doing this DNA test. Anyone done this? Like, you take your DNA test and you send it in and they send you back the information about your heritage and where you're from, and right? And any surprises of those of you who did it? Any, any surprises? A couple of surprises, yeah. Right, and this is what people, and it's kind of like, 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 it's becoming a big gift item. People are giving this to people as a gift, like find out where you're from. And, uh, you know, and, and it's an important thing. It's kind of cool to check out, but it's also important. You know this if you've ever gone to a doctor, right? And they're like, hey, let's talk about your family history. In your family is a history of this, that, and the other. Because what it does is it informs who you are. It gives some clues to some distinctives about who you are. We also see it in things like, like interests, in careers and skills. It's not just proximity or things that you're exposed to, but, but research is showing that after time, some of that makes it into our genetics and into our makeup. And so there's things that we're, we, we become inclined towards because of our family history. Well, I believe the same thing is true of our, our church family. We're a church family, and we're a part of a very rich history uh, as a denomination, and recognizing that for some, some of us, we, we don't know what that is. And so I felt like the Lord was saying that for today, that we would spend a little bit of time and talk about who we are as the Foursquare Church. Now, for some of you, this will just be a refresher. Some of you go to Life Pacific College. You might want to take some notes. This is going to come in handy, right? Now, some of you are ministers in the, the, the Foursquare Church. And I tell you what, even as I was getting ready for today, I was stirred in my own spirit about where we've come from as a church family, especially coming out of last week as we saw people praying for each other to be healed. You'll hear in a few minutes 
That's a huge part of our heritage as a denomination. That physical healing and, 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 and emotional healing, people being made whole and moving from brokenness into wholeness is a huge part of, of one of our distinctives as a Foursquare family, not just here in the U.S., but globally. And so we're going to unpack a little bit what Foursquare means. I'm going to briefly share some of the history, some of the kind of the highlights. I don't want to get too much into the history because I want to talk about the Foursquare gospel today. I cast a little bit of vision last week. I, I said some bold things in regards to church planting and, and multiplication and, and even what we see as God is growing this expression of his body right here in Glendora. But you'll, you'll discover today that those things that I said are not outlandish. They're right in line with what God has been doing for over 100 years or close to 100 years rather in the Foursquare Church. So one of the things I want to do, we have a video we're going to watch, and it gives a little bit of a, an overview and a little flavor of what Foursquare is around the world. So check out the screen. In over 150 countries around the world, we are there. Sometimes publicly, in churches, large and small, gathering in houses of worship, schools, flats, and parks. Sometimes in the shadows, working in the darkest reaches of the globe to free captives, empower the helpless, and care for those the world's overlooked. We may not look the same, sound the same, even think the same, but we're one movement, one tribe, compelled by the love of Christ. We're instigators. Valdir Falcone, standing in the streets of his majority immigrant town with a simple sign, letting passersby know they are loved and welcome in greater Boston. Beth Ivester, engaging in the unique culture of her Portland neighborhood by creating Swap and Play, a place for families to bring their children and find support in community, beginning spiritual conversations through her local business. We're activists. Brenda Keene, spending her days in the dusty slums of Nairobi, Kenya, pulling women out of unthinkable situations, giving them jobs, dignity, and a new identity in Christ. Juan Muskis, overseeing a training center in Tijuana, Mexico, where former addicts, cartel members, and drug traffickers are trained as pastors before being sent home to their own communities, changing and saving lives in one of the most violent cities of his country. We're evangelists. Justin Matera, a Brooklyn-born and raised graphic designer with a passion for his hometown, starting a church in the heart of his city to reach a generation so easily swallowed by the glamour and pressure of New York, opening doors for those that have long since left the faith. Isan Osbek, leading the largest evangelical organization in Turkey, putting his life on the line daily to ensure his fellow Turks hear the good news of Jesus ministering to the growing number of refugees in his country and encouraging believers in closed countries throughout the Islamic world. How does such a diverse tribe exist? It started with our founder, Amy Simple McPherson, who took a very different approach from the evangelists of her time. She chose a message of hope over fear, preached to both the social elite and the down and out. She fought to destroy racial, gender, and socioeconomic barriers and we continue that fight to this day, leading the way in opening up new countries, establishing churches in our forgotten urban cores, 
empowering both women and men as pastors, and raising up indigenous national leaders to oversee missionary works. Amy utilized technology, media, and the arts to spread the gospel. She wanted to build a church that interfaced with contemporary culture instead of shying away from it. She envisioned a church that would grow stronger over time, always progressing, always centered around the Bible and its transforming power. And that spirit remains alive today. We're a church for today's world, a church willing to take risk, to go places others won't, to embrace people others fear, to try things others haven't. This isn't just pastors and missionaries. This is the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. And that means each of us, regardless of profession, talent, income, age, or gender, each of us plays a role in spreading the message of Christ to our world. Because we are Foursquare. And this is church reimagined. I love that. Church reimagined. One of our distinctives from, from the very beginning was there was no box, there was no limit. Our founder, Amy Simple McPherson, was a young evangelist who traveled the nation in her gospel car preaching the, the good news of Jesus Christ. And she was an evangelist of evangelists. She was all about bringing people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now remember, this is the 19-teens and the 1920s, where young women didn't have the rights and privileges of men. Yet this, this lady did not, this woman of God did not let that stop her from pursuing God's call on her life. In 1922, at a revival in Oakland, California, the Lord gave her the vision out of Ezekiel for the Foursquare Gospel. And the Foursquare Church was born. She came to L.A. where down in Echo Park, she built Angelus Temple which was, a, was an amazing edifice in and of itself, the largest domed building in the United States of America. She had $5,000 and went to a builder and said, what can I get for $5,000? And he says, I can dig a hole in the ground. <laughs> and her response was, dig the hole and God will fill it. Angelus Temple was dedicated in 1923. And, and within seven uh, within seven years, 40 million people had come to visit Angela's Temple. They were holding services morning, noon, and night. Ange uh, Amy Simple McPherson was preaching 21 times a week. 21 times a week. I tell you what, if, I, if I'm asked to preach twice, I'm going, oh, okay, where am I going to find the time? 21 times a week. Angela's Temple was a, an auditorium over 5,000 seats. It was the first megachurch in the world, over 10,000 people regularly attending. Angela's Temple, they said when, uh, on Sundays, we, they would have to add extra trolley cars. Back in the day, Los Angeles had a trolley car system where people would get around the city, and they would have to add extra trolley cars for the route that went by Angela's Temple because there were so many people coming to the church. And in fact, the Queen of Angels Hospital, which is now the Dream Center in Los Angeles, 
It, the stories are told that ambulances would stop on the way to the hospital, would stop at Angela's Temple for people to get prayed, and, prayed for, and they'd never make it to the hospital because they would get healed. What's interesting to me is that Amy didn't, Sister Amy did not, she, she, wasn't, she didn't have a healing ministry, she was an evangelist. But what happened was when you want to bring people to Jesus, we've got to get some stuff, some of the distractions and some of the brokenness out of the way. And so they're, they're praying for people to be healed so they can meet Jesus. And today at the Heritage Center, which is the, the old parsonage at Angelus Temple, you can still go and you can see uh, the, the back braces and the casts and all of the different things that, that were left behind at the altar as people were healed miraculously and led to Jesus in that place. 1923, Angelus Temple was dedicated, and the cornerstone of that building is inscribed with these words, committed to the cause of interdenominational and worldwide evangelism. Interdenominational and worldwide evangelism. Sister Amy had a call from God, and she was serious about that call. She established the Echo Park Evangelistic and Missionary Training Institute in 1923, which later became Life Bible College, or L-I-F-E Bible College. And that, that building, that campus opened right next to Angelus Temple in 1927. By the way, L-I-F-E stands for Lighthouse of International Foursquare Evangelism. 1990, life moved to San Dimas, right down the street from where we're at. And today is known as Life Pacific College and by next year will be Life Pacific University, having trained over 25,000 people to go and do the work of the ministry. Within one year of Angelus Temple, uh, Sister Amy had over 100 students who had signed up to be trained and released to go and preach the gospel. Megan and I got to serve on staff at a church for a number of years that was one of the larger churches in Foursquare, which had started as the Goodyear Tent Revival Students who were attending LIFE Bible College on the weekends were going away from the college and actually doing tent revivals along that same tram stop all the way from Los Angeles all the way down to Long Beach. And they would just set up on the weekends and do tent revivals where they set up a tent outside the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company. And that, tent, that, that, that church became the Goodyear Foursquare Church and ultimately the church that we served on staff at missionaries and pastors sent out from that place, some of them not even waiting till they graduated to go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, the Foursquare Church is present in over 150 countries and over 90,000 meeting places around the world. There are millions of people who are part of this family around the globe, millions of people. And each year, millions of people are giving their lives to Jesus, and hundreds of thousands of people are being baptized in water, coming to a personal relationship with their Lord and Savior. We're a part of something pretty amazing around the world. You know, it's easy to get into a place where we're sitting in church on Sunday and just thinking, hey, this is just us. And I gotta tell you, this is just the Foursquare Church. There's other church families and other denominations that are moving around the world and engaging with God's call on their life. And I believe that God is calling us and we're in a season as a church where God's saying, stop just being comfortable and just 
adding to your numbers and, and just kind of doing your own thing. Let's start engaging with the mission and the call of God to go and reach the lost, to see them healed, to see them come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to be empowered in the power of the Holy Spirit so they can then go and reach others. That, in fact, is in a nutshell the Foursquare Gospel. So what is Foursquare? Some of you would recognize Foursquare because you played the game in elementary school. Anyone, anyone play Foursquare? Right? You had baubles and all the, the, the terms. I went to a camp years ago uh, in Ohio, got to speak at a camp. After coming from Southern California, I show up at this camp, and, and the biggest game at this camp was Foursquare. They were into their Foursquare like crazy, all kinds of rules and stuff. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the Foursquare gospel, and Foursquare is a term that we don't really use a lot anymore. Foursquare is a refer- reference to something that is, is sound or is stable, a cornerstone or a foundation stone, something that is immovable. And back in the 1920s and, and, and decades ago, if you referenced something as being four square, it meant, meant that it was solid, that it was solid. And the Lord gave Sister Amy this vision of the four square gospel, a solid gospel. And it's comprised of four components, and we see the symbols up there, the, the cross, the dove, the cup, and the crown, each representative of something. What I want to do this morning is just take a few minutes to unpack what each one of those are. And what I'm not wanting to do is give you a history lesson. Right? It'd be easy for this turn into, to turn into an informational time. There's some great documentaries. There's some great resources, even on, a, on our denomination's website at foursquare.org. Go check it out. But my goal this morning is not just to convey information. My prayer this morning as we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there would be a fire that's lit inside of you. Because as that video said, we're committed to take, take the whole church, taking the whole gospel to the whole world. That means you. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are a part of that. And God is calling you to partner with him in the work that he is doing in reaching the world. You're a part of the whole church, taking the whole gospel to the whole world. So we're going to start out talking about Jesus Christ is our Savior. Jesus Christ is our Savior. It's represented by the cross and the color red. Each of our four square symbols or each of our, our tenets of our faces, faith is rep- represented by a symbol and by a color for Jesus, our Savior, it's the cross for obvious reasons. We understand it's at the cross that Jesus died for our sin, that He is our Savior, that He is our Savior, that He went to the cross for you and for me, of course, the red representative of His blood that was shed, satisfying once and for all the Old Testament sacrificial system that attempted to bring people close to God. Jesus restored the relationship, the broken relationship between man and God. We read in Acts chapter 4, verse 11 through 12, that Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is our Savior. He is the Savior 
of the world. There is no one else. There is no other way. There's no alternative. Right? We've heard the, 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 the old phrase, all, read, all roads lead to Rome. They don't. They don't. Not all paths or all faiths or all religions or systems of belief lead to God. Only Jesus Christ leads to a relationship with God. And he made a way, coming in flesh, stepping out of eternity, stepping out of his deity, and coming and becoming a, a perfect sacrifice for you and for me. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 through 20 says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that being Jesus Christ, and through him to reconcile him to himself all Things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, in the Garden of Eden, as sin entered the world, there was a separation that came, and we became enemies of God because of our brokenness and because of our sin. But God was pleased to send his son, and Jesus was pleased to come, even though the cross represented pain and agony and ultimately for Jesus himself a separation from the father he had known for all eternity it says in the bible that Jesus before he is betrayed was in the garden of gethsemane and he was praying and 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 there was he was experiencing such stress that his blood that he sweat was like drops of blood which is an actual physical condition medical condition when someone is exerted to extreme stress that the capillaries will actually burst under the skin and and you will will bleed through your skin yet jesus's words in that moment were father if you could let this cup pass from me but not my will your will be done because without the cross we have no salvation Without the cross, we have no relationship with God. And so Jesus goes to the cross and he becomes our savior. He secures for us what we cannot secure for ourselves. Isaac referenced that this morning. We couldn't do it for ourselves, so Jesus did it for us. And he became our righteousness. Romans 5, 9 through 11. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Of course, Jesus didn't stay on the cross. He was buried, and three days later, he rose again once and for all, defeating sin and death and the grave. Jesus Christ is your Savior. Can I tell you, there's nothing more important in the world to know. There's nothing more important in the world to know than this. There's no information, no field of study, nothing. That this as believers is the cornerstone, not of the Foursquare Church, but of our faith as followers of Jesus Christ. Without Jesus being our Savior, we have nothing. We have nothing. There is no hope. There is no future. There is only separation from God. And so Jesus Christ is 
your Savior. What are the implications of this? What does this mean for you? This means that every day of your life, you can wake up and celebrate the fact that you have been saved, that you don't have to perform, that you don't have to try harder to make God love you more because he already expressed his love in the most perfect way that he could by sending his son. You can rest in that. You can relish in that. You can celebrate that every single day. And I pray that you do. I pray that you do. I, I think we're forgetful. Anyone else forgetful? You're willing to admit it, right? And I'm not talking about you forget your key somewhere. I'm talking about we get up and we, we buy into the lie of the enemy that I have to do something to make God happy with me. And nothing could be further from the truth and the reminder of that is the cross of Jesus Christ that says, I did it all, I paid it all, that Jesus Christ is your savior. But he didn't stop there. See, because all, if all he was was our savior when we said yes to him, he would just call us home. But we're not just saved, we also are people on assignment. We have a job to do. And so Jesus also is our baptizer in the Holy Spirit and in fire. He is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit and with fire, symbolized by the dove, the symbol of the Holy Spirit, and by the color gold, significant of godly fire. We know in Acts chapter 2 when the disciples were in the upper room and they were praying and worshiping God. After when we're going to read the passage in a minute, Jesus said, wait until I give you the promise. And in that place, there was the mighty rushing wind, and then there were tongues of fire that came and rested, godly fire that rested on them. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see these references to fire and to gold and to the purifying aspects of fire. And so we look at the dove and we look at the gold as reminders. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 says this, John the Baptist saying, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, Jesus said, I I have to go because if I don't go, he can't come and, and he needs to come because what he will do is empower you, that he will fill your life, that he will give you gifts. And he will allow you to function in a way that you cannot function in your own strength. And we see this group of disciples in the upper room whose lives are transformed. Simple people living simple lives, yet they went out and they changed the world. We see the example of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized by John in water... He went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Jesus was baptized in water and models that for us, and as he is baptized, as he comes out of that water, that the Holy Spirit comes, and he's filled, and he is empowered for the the ministry he would do. From there, he goes into the desert where he's tempted for 40 days by the enemy, And, and after emerging from that, starts his formal ministry, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Don't you love that Jesus modeled for us everything we're called to do? 
He didn't just send us a memo or an email and said, hey, here's my instructions, now do your best. Good luck. He actually modeled for us what we're supposed to do. This man of sorrows, this this God-man who took on flesh, he said, I'm going to show you what it is you're called to do. By the way, in that moment when he comes out of the water, he hears the voice, there's the dove, but there's a voice that comes from heaven that declares, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I want to go back to what I said earlier about living to try and earn the pleasure or, or make God happy with you. Jesus... Here's the voice of the Father before his ministry begins, before he starts doing the thing that God called him to, to, and called him to, to earth to do. Before he accomplishes the task, he hears the voice of the Father. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And he feels the same way about you. Jesus is baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And out of that, he begins this ministry that impacts more lives than we know about because we have a partial record. He goes preaching and teaching and healing, setting the captives free, casting demons out. And people start following him and going, what is it about this man? He's unlike any other man we've ever heard or seen. He teaches as one who has authority. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says to us, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And of course, in the next chapter, in Acts chapter 2, we read about that account where the disciples are in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit comes on them, and Peter gets up. Well, before that, they... They speak, start speaking in other languages and there's tongues of fire on them. And can you imagine that experience being in that room and the wind's blowing and there's flames of fire, right? And, and, and everyone's speaking in these different languages. In fact, there was such a commotion that the people outside go, what's going on? And they start saying to them, you know, these people must be drunk. And it's not even the afternoon time yet. So even back then, that was like, no, no, you don't drink in the morning, and of course, Peter steps up and says, listen, we're not, we're not drunk. Let me tell you what's going on. And he begins to preach. And that day, 3,000 people come to Jesus Christ and surrender their lives. Everything else you read about Peter up to that point doesn't line up with what you read after this. Nothing. He's the guy who's just making mistakes and putting his foot in his mouth. He had just denied Jesus passionately, yet Jesus restores him, and in this moment, under the power of the Holy Spirit, and with the fire burning inside of him, he preaches, and that small gathering goes out, and the gospel begins to spread under the power of the Holy Spirit. What does this mean for us? I want to put this slide up. The possible, the impossible, rather, becomes possible. Do we have that? It's not in there? No? Okay. The impossible becomes possible. We understand that we live in a limited world. We talked about this last week. But we serve an unlimited God. And when we as followers of Jesus Christ who are filled and and baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire, all of a sudden the impossible becomes possible. In fact, Jesus said that we would do not only the things that we saw him doing, but doing even greater things than what he did. 
Do you believe that? I hope so. Okay, here's a better question. Do you live that? Not as hearty of a yes. (laughs) Isn't it amazing we can believe something and not live it? That the gospel of Jesus Christ was not something just for us to believe. It's something for us to live, to embody, to walk out in our daily lives. The whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. I tell you what, our DNA is bigger than the Foursquare Church. It goes back to that upper room. We have that DNA in us. That God's saying, hey, I've, I've put a spirit inside of you, my spirit inside of you, that will allow you to preach and see 3,000, 5,000, 10,000. We just saw the, the passing of Billy Graham just a few months ago, who preached to millions and millions and millions of people throughout his lifetime. Greater things. So don't just believe it. Start living it. Allow the power of the Holy Spirit to flow in your life in such a way that the impossible becomes possible, that tumors blow up, that diseases are healed, that diagnosis from doctors where they say there's nothing we can do or turned around, not because the pastor prays, not because you go to a crusade, but because of the power of God in you to pray, to lay hands on the sick and to see them restored and made well. That's the power of God in you. In fact, it goes on to say, and the third tenet of our faith is that Jesus Christ is our healer. He is our healer. The word that comes to mind when I think about Jesus being my healer is the word compassion. He cares about our state. He cares about what's going on in your life. And yes, he wants you to go and and share his love and he has an assignment for you, but he also cares about what's going on in your life. And he wants to bring healing to every part of your life. This is symbolized by the cup of anointing oil. And we'll read in James in just a minute here about the anointing of oil. Oil was used as a balm, as a soothing balm, and something that was, was like a, an anesthetic or uh, a disinfectant and would cover the wound and, and allow that wound to heal. In fact, in the 23rd Psalm, it talks about Jesus, our great shepherd. And it says in there that he, right, he leads us beside still waters and into green pastures. And he says that he anoints our heads with oil. And remember, he's talking about sheep. Why would a shepherd anoint a sheep with oil? Well, oil did a couple of things. There's a couple of things that the the number one enemy of sheep was not lions and tigers and bears. There you go. It was flies. It was flies. And what would happen is these flies, you know, gross for a minute, junior hires, like, here we go. Um, the flies would fly into the nostrils of the sheep and lay their eggs. And, and that, that those eggs would then hatch and would create incredible irritation for the sheep. And so what the shepherd would do was would actually apply oil to the, to the nostrils of the sheep and it, wouldn't, it would prevent the flies from coming and landing and laying their eggs. Or if the, if the sheep had a, a wound, the shepherd would take the oil and apply it to that wound and it would allow it to, to heal and would speed up that 
healing process. Can I, can I ask you this morning, is there anything in your life that's causing irritation? Is there anything that has found a place to lay eggs and hatch and, and start breeding that is, that is driving you nuts? That the touch of Jesus Christ wants to bring healing to that place. Not just physically, and, and most certainly physically, but, but we're whole people. We, we are whole people who have emotions and, and, and relationships, different aspects of our soul. And Jesus says, I want to heal every part of who you are. Symbolized by this cup and then the color blue, which is the color of the robe of the ephod of the priests in the Old Testament who stood in the place and ministered before, for people before God, which is where Jesus is now standing on behalf of us, ministering before the Father and interceding on our behalf. Matthew chapter 8, verse 16 and 17 says this, When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed, I love, I love this, all the sick. He healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Jesus Christ is your healer. James 5, 14 through 15 says this, is any one among you sick? Let them call the elders to the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. The goal of healing is always to restore people to Jesus Christ. I mentioned that Sister Amy was an evangelist who happened to lead a ministry where people were getting healed. But at the end of the day, it wasn't about the healing. It was about people meeting Jesus, their Savior. And one of the things that can happen so often when we see places where there's uh, the miracle of, of healing taking place is that becomes the focal point. And we can miss Jesus in the midst of the move of healing. Always, always, always it comes back to who is Jesus. This is why Jesus is our healer, wanting to restore every part of who you are. The implication for us, Jesus is able to heal the deepest of wounds, and cure the darkest of afflictions. There's nothing that you're walking through that he cannot bring healing to. Nothing. There's nothing that you can conjure up. There's no, there's no dream of the future or, or nightmare of the future. There's nothing, right? Any, anyone like struggle with like imaginations where you start thinking about the worst possible outcome, Right? <laughs> And we let ourselves go down a road where we imagine these outcomes where it's just bad. It's dark and gloomy. There's nothing you can imagine that Jesus cannot cover and heal. He is your healer. He is your healer. And we can take him at his word and find healing for every part of our lives. And finally, he is our soon and coming king. He is our soon and coming king. Symbolized by the crown and the color purple, both symbolic of royalty. But he's a king like the world has never seen before. He has absolute authority and absolute dominion. And his kingdom is a perfect kingdom without any kind of brokenness whatsoever. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. John 
14 verses 1 through 3 says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled as Jesus speaking. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. Uh, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. He is our king. He is enthroned on righteousness, and he's coming back. He's coming back. The cross was the greatest single event in human history so far. But one day, Jesus says he's coming back. He's coming back for his bride, and he will call us unto himself, and we will spend eternity with him in his perfect kingdom. By the way, we talked about this a, a, a couple of weeks ago, that eternity starts now. You're already living in that kingdom. You already have the authority of that kingdom right now through the power of the Holy Spirit. First Thess- Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17 says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, uh, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. There's a lot of debate about how that's all going to happen. Honestly, I don't really care. All I know is this, is Jesus coming back and I can't wait to see him. He's coming back and I can't wait to see him. Now the disciples asked Jesus, well, when? When are you going to come back? And he said, listen, It's not yours to know. I'm not going to tell you, and the Father's not going to tell you. And and, and here's what I know. He's still not going to tell us. Every few years, we have someone pops up and says, I know the day. (laughs) The Bible says, we don't know the day. All we know is he's coming back. And it could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be next year. We don't know. All I know is he is coming back. And when he does, everyone will know. It says that every, Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And I would rather bow my knee willingly in honor and in worship. So what are the implications? You will spend eternity with Jesus. Hallelujah. And it's going to be amazing. And like I said a few weeks ago, it, hasn't, it doesn't involve clouds and harps and wings. Because that just sounds boring. That there will be relationship. We will know each other in heaven and we will be in relationship with God and the Father and the Holy Spirit, perfect relationship. And we will walk on streets of gold. And Jesus said, I'm building you a mansion. I'm building you a place where you're gonna come and you're gonna live with me. And it's an awesome place. The streets are made of gold. Come on, somebody. No potholes. Hallelujah. (laughs) Jesus is coming back for his church. But here's the other implication. And this is huge for us. We have work to do. I I remember seeing a bumper sticker a number of years ago. It said, Jesus is coming back. Look busy. Jesus is coming back, look busy, like he won't figure that out. (laughs) 
Jesus is coming back, and we need to be about the work of his gospel. See, because what happens is when I know him as my Savior, and when I'm filled with his Holy Spirit, and when I'm healed, and when I know he's coming back, my king, king is coming back, I want to take as many people with me as possible. I want, to make, I want to make sure that every person I know, every relative, every neighbor has an opportunity to hear the gospel. This is a part of our DNA as a Foursquare Church. Our founder, Amy Semple McPherson, was an evangelist. And the call in her life was to tell as many people as possible. I learned this week that when they built Angela's Temple, there were no toilets. They didn't design it as a place, she didn't design it as a place for people to come and stay. The idea was that you would come and you would hear the message and you would leave. And, and her, her initial idea was this, come, be saved, and go find a church to be a part of. She didn't found a denomination. But what ended up happening, she was doing something that no one else was doing. By the way, the media, the radio station, illustrated sermons. She was way ahead of her time. Out of the box thinking. Using the technology available. I, I tell you what, I don't want to bash social media. I want to reach as many people through it as possible. The arts, music, and the church is called to be on the cutting edge, on the front lines. Why? So that one more life can be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming and we have work to do. We have work to do. This is the Foursquare gospel this is the Foursquare Church. This is who we are. And I got to tell you, God is moving around our nation, around the world. There are amazing things happening just inside, just inside of the Foursquare Church, from the jungles of Papua New Guinea and Africa to the hardest hardened post-Christian hearts in Europe that are surrendering at the foot of the cross because faithful men and women are taking the gospel in Turkey, where, where the church was essentially birthed, Turkey was the birthplace of modern Christianity. Less than 1% of the people in Turkey are now Christians. But there are people in Turkey. By the way, our missionary to Turkey used to be a part of Glendora Foursquare Church. He was on staff at this church. We have a tie and we have a relationship. That's one of the things that makes us so special as a family is those relational connect connections. Now listen, we're not a perfect family. I know your, your family's not perfect. My family's not perfect. We all have that, right? Why would we pick on uncles, right? We all have that uncle, right? And we're not a perfect family. And there's things that, that we can improve as a, as, a, as a church family, both here and denominationally, but here's what I know about our leadership and what's happening in Foursquare is we're saying, how can we be the church we imagined? How can we start being and reclaim that call of God to reach the lost? And that extends to us. So my goal is not to stand up in front of you and just rally some energy. I want to invite you to partner with what God is doing. I want to invite you to be the whole church, taking the whole gospel to the whole world, starting right here in Glendora and Azusa and Covina and San Dimas in Los Angeles, in California, and to the ends of the earth. Amen? We stand together. By the way, if you're interested, I'm going to ask for just a show of hands, but if you'd be interested in taking a trip down to the Heritage Center, we can arrange for our church to go and 
take a tour. If you'd be interested in that, would you just raise your hand? Um, and so I can just, so okay, a bunch of people raising their hands. All right, so what we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll arrange that, we'll communicate with you, and even if you didn't raise your hand, you decide you want to go, you can still go. It's totally okay. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. We're going to close. Father God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us. Jesus, we are changed people because of you. We are saved people. We are empowered people. We are healed people. And we are people who are looking forward to seeing our King face to face. Lord, we give you praise for what you're doing around the world, the work that you are doing in reaching men, women, boys, and girls in nations where the gospel is free to be preached in nations, Lord, where people take their lives, put their lives at risk to to preach the gospel. Lord, we lift our missionaries and our area missionaries and our global family, our national leaders, Lord, who are doing the work of preaching the four-square gospel around the world. We ask for protection and favor and, and provision for each one of them and for their families, Father God. But Lord, I ask like right here in Glendora at Thrive Church, Holy Spirit, that you would move, that you would light a fire in us, that we would have a spirit of evangelism upon us, Lord, to, to reach the lost. Lord, that it wouldn't just impact some of us, but all of us would feel that fervor, would feel, Lord, that mandate from you to preach Jesus Christ. Everywhere we go, everyone we talk to, in everything we do, we'll give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.